I'm Matthew Viriapa, and you're listening to Songwriters and Tour Writers, a podcast interviewing the songwriters and musicians that call Oklahoma home and those that might just be passing through. On this episode is Caitlin Butts. Caitlin Butts is a singer-songwriter from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Her latest album, What Else Can She Do?, is a collage of different female characters that draw from parts of the country artist's own life. The first track's title, It Won't Always Be This Way, was a statement that she and her mother would repeat during a particularly rough period of their lives. But it was something that ended up being very true. In just the last year, Caitlin married fellow musician Cueto Cordero of Flatland Cavalry and recorded this sophomore album. What Else Can She Do includes super spacey, almost extraterrestrial sounds, but also has a song that references country icons Johnny Cash and June Carter. In this episode, hear Caitlin talk about going through that rough period, what it's like being married to another musician, and being more weird in country music. People are, are kind of showing off their weirdness, and I think that that's something that's really cool in country music to just like, I don't know, venture out. She dreams of a life free of sadness or strife Or what it'd be like to be somebody's wife At a table with no empty chairs I'm Caitlin Butts and I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma and I play country music. And I've been, I'm from Tulsa originally. I went to ACM at UCO in Oklahoma City um, and uh, love Oklahoma so much, but I live in Nashville now, and I'm putting out an album called What Else Can She Do? I was surprised how lean the album is. It's only seven tracks? Uh-huh, yes. Yeah, and uh, you didn't put uh, the the two singles that came uh, first, like How Lucky Am I and Marfa Lights. Uh, why did you decide uh, not to include those? With these batch of seven songs, I really wanted to have more of a concept in mind and really tell a story with it. And those two singles didn't really fit into, I really wanted to get them out. And so I just wanted them to be their own thing because I felt like, you know, with How Lucky Am I, I released it on Valentine's Day. That's its own thing. And then, you know, for Marple Lights, you know, I just wanted to keep music out, keep coming out. My whole goal right now is to just put music out consistently because I hadn't for so long. And so um, I didn't put those on there because I didn't feel like it fit with the whole theme of the album, which, you know, kind of asks every song on the album kind of asks the same question. What else can she do? And those didn't really fit into, into that, you know, um, into that realm. So to so decide to leave those off and, you know, keep it contained to the ones that were on on theme for it. This is your first kind of uh, full release in quite a while. Um it's been seven years since um, your debut. Yeah, it's, it was 2015 for Same Hell, Different Devil. Um, and then I released um, three singles in between and also a remix last year um, to one of those singles. And um, but yeah, it's been seven years. So it's been a long time. What has it been like? Why did it take so long, I guess? So in between these two releases, I had a lot, a lot of stuff going on in my personal life, which is what I kind of wrote about. And I also have had a publishing deal, so I was taking lots of time to um, hone in on that craft and really get 
better at it and and also observe my life and um, kind of take it all in and soak it up and try to translate what was going on into music. And then um, when it came to making the album, I mean, I wanted to do stuff in 2019, you know, um, and I kind of had started the ball rolling with White River. And then the pandemic hit. So, you know, that tacked on a whole, another whole year where I really wanted to give these songs the right team, the right, you know, production. And that takes a lot of time. And so I'm, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. If I've waited this long, I can wait another year. And I just want to do it the right way. You know, all that patience has kind of helped, you know, get the ball rolling, but also, you know, get the right team together in place and, and the right songs too, because if I hadn't waited, I wouldn't have the album title that I wrote in 2020, which kind of tied in the question, what else can she do? And I felt like that that kind of brought, any, brought everything together theme-wise. And um, I'm glad that I waited because I feel like I became a better songwriter out of it. Um, because I worked hard on it for a really long time. You said you recorded what songs in the first week of living in Nashville? I moved here and then I had the plan before we moved, I had the plan to release my song, How Lucky Am I for Valentine's Day. And so within 48 hours of moving to Nashville in February, um, I had recorded this whole album that I'm putting out. And then I had also put out a single, How Lucky Am I, and within that week. And so it was a really busy first week here in Nashville, but it definitely got things rolling. I was going to ask if you were okay because I, I saw that tweet that you put out yesterday about like getting <laughs> run off the road or something. Yeah, like this guy had it out for me and I didn't know um, what I did, um, but he <laughs> tried to murder me on two different occasions. Um, 
I, I really tried to avoid, I mean, I think I have a little bit of road rage, but this time it was kind of unprovoked. And then like I reacted and that made him like go full crazy on me. Um, and yeah, I almost died. I felt like I almost died yesterday. I had to call 911 because I didn't know if he was going to keep following me and trying to, cause he kept pulling in front of me and trying to make me like stop my car. He would pull uh-huh. right in front of me, like diagonally and stop traffic. And then he came and then I, once he was in front of me, I was able to veer off to the right behind him. And so I thought I kind of escaped and then, and then he pulls across the street and pulls and makes a U-turn and then beelines it diagonally back towards me across four, five lanes of traffic and, and almost hit several cars in the, in the, you know, in the way. Wow. And then I kind of kept going up the road and I thought, you know, this guy could just like keep following me because I have to keep going up the street. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to get caught up at a stop sign or what, but it was really scary, but I'm okay. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, was it like a Wendy's parking lot that you ended up running into or something? Yeah. I went into a Wendy's parking lot to try to hide from him for a second, but he just whipped a U-turn and came right back at me. And I felt like I was in like Tokyo drift situation. Um, it was, <laughs> I felt like a NASCAR driver just yeah. trying to whip it away from him and stuff. Oh, scary. But I, I learned that I'm like good in stressful situations. I'm quick on my feet. Um, cause it all happened within like 15 seconds. It was really scary, but I'm all good now. Yeah. I like that little detail that it was a Wendy's parking lot. Just something about like the fast food <laughs> saint of redheads, like just kind right? of <laughs> providing you safe, like <laughs> a safe haven <laughs> in their parking lot. I saw someone tweeted a picture of Wendy with like a Glock in her oh, yeah. <laughs> protecting me. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. I'd love to talk more about um, this theme that you have going on um, that is pretty much summed up by the title of the, the album. What else can she do? Yeah. Have you been faced with that question yourself like a lot? Yeah. I feel like I can see myself in every one of their um, shoes at one point in my life. But some of the songs are not about me, but I also like can really relate to them and um, feel empathetic towards them. And um, some of them are completely made up characters, but I feel like, you know, everyone's been in all their shoes, especially um, in what else can she do where, you know, you just have this kind of you're waking up, going to work, working all day, going home, going to sleep and waking up and doing it all over again. And you're kind of like, what is this pattern that my life is in? And am I just going to be like working my life away? I feel like everyone's been there um, at one point. And I feel like everyone's been in each one of their shoes at one point. And I definitely have two. Um, and I've asked myself, you know, what, what choices do we have? Do we just have to keep living in this space forever or what? I love to talk about that first track off the album it won't always be this way i watched this great video that you put out and it seems like that that song is just a really good distillation of like what you and your mom and your family had been going through in the last like year and a half Mm -hmm. and that that was actually um i would say around 2015 to about 2017 um, that's when that whole time, those videos were all from, from around 2015 to 2017, when we were going through the rougher times and, and like the times that, you know, I felt like things were beautiful around me, even though kind of like our world was crashing down, 
I would, I would hit the record button because, you know, I really wanted to take in those times instead of, you know, the dark ones. Cause you never really, when bad things are happening, you don't really record those things. Like right now I have so many videos of good, happy times, but in those, in those last couple of years, like I wasn't filming it really much of anything unless it was like a really cool moment. And so I kind of put all of those clips together and made it into that and really wanted to tell the story that, you know, was not a highlight reel of mine that I kind of kept quiet about for a long time because I was really like, I, <laughs> I don't know a better way to say this right now, but I was like balls deep in it. It was just not like, uh, it was just so, I felt like I was neck deep in it, I guess. <laughs> That's probably a better way to say that. It feels like I wrote, it won't always be this way an entire lifetime ago. And when I look back to where I was when I wrote it, it really was. My mom had finally left my dad. My dad sold the house I was living in, which put my mom and I with nowhere to go other than my grandma Jean's garage, which she converted into a living space for us. We lived off of my gig money and grandma Jean's stew. I think so many people shut themselves out of the world whenever they're going through something hard like that and they don't really talk about it and that makes it kind of like a, I don't know, people want, really just want to talk about the good things that are happening in their life. And that's what I wanted to do when I was there. But I also looking back, like want to reach out to people that are going through things like I was going through and my family was going through and the people that were around me were going through and reach out to them and make them feel like they're not alone. If, if they're experiencing something like I was, but it was like a really transformative part of my life too. And that's what I feel like about these songs. It was like a really transformative time in my life that didn't get a light shown on it because I was like kind of caught up in it. And so, I mean, that's another reason why it took me so long to put music out is because, I mean, when you're going through it, it's really hard to be positive and, and go out and try to be a musician, you know? And I was really just kind of scraping by with um, whatever energy I had outside of that. Speak of the devil and he walks. It's like his That phrase, it won't always be this way, was something that we, my mom and I repeated to each other in trying to be positive, but things didn't get better for a really long time. And so it kind of became the sad thing that we said. And one night in a hotel, I like remembered that phrase and because I think I had it written down on my phone. I was driving around after a show trying to find parking and I started like singing it to myself, kind of like a lullaby. And that was probably like one of the first times that a melody came without me sitting with my guitar trying to figure it out. But it won't always be this way. Four to five year long divorce so it was it got very messy I, I felt unsafe my mom and I didn't feel safe where we were and I I couldn't imagine what other people that have less than we did at the time I can't imagine if we didn't have the family that we did um, or the resources like it just showed me why people or why women stay for so long in abusive relationships because if we didn't have my grandma's house to go to for the resources to reach out and ask for help, we would have been fucked. It would have been a whole lot scarier and we were really privileged to have, you know, the bare minimum, but 
a lot of people don't have the bare minimum and they have to kind of endure and, and wait to leave and get their ducks in a row before they can or leave in the middle of the night and not and sleep in their car and not know, you know, it's, it was just such a vulnerable, um, scary time. I just felt really privileged to have what we did find it easy to write like during those times or is it kind of something you have to look back on in order to write about I wrote all of those songs in that time frame um I, I wrote when I was in it um and the only one that I didn't write in that time frame was what else can she do which I wrote in 2020 so I wrote all those songs while I was really going through it in writing them um some days like I wasn't going to try to go and write anything but some days it would completely flow out of me and I would like write everything that I was feeling or like words or phrases that like my mom had said or my aunt had said and like put them on a sheet of paper. I kind of spread out whenever I'm writing stuff and I'll, I get big computer paper and I just like scribble everything that I'm thinking and then try to make it cohesive and tell us, tell the story of what I'm trying to say. I, I just wrote those when I was really going through it. So it, it felt easy to write about it because it was it was kind of consuming me. And so it just flowed out of me. But once I was done with the song, like I felt like it was like a closed book. Like I was done and I felt that emotion. And now I feel like I could, um, I, I therapied myself. <laughs> um, and I really kind of helped myself out by trying to figure out what the hell I was going through too. Um, and trying to um, like dictate it, I guess, and try to like find the, find the message that I was supposed to learn um, throughout that experience. So I definitely wrote it while I was going through it, for sure. Yeah. Um, are the songs, uh, how they sound on the album, how you kind of always pictured them? Yes. Uh, my producer, Orrin Thornton, got like the best dudes in the business for as far as session guys go, he got Fred Eltringham who plays with show crow and he's like a legendary drummer. Um, Justin shipper played steel. He's got a huge bio of, you know, people that he's played for Lex price played bass, who has a huge resume as well. Joshua Grange and Oren played on it as well. Uh, I'm trying to, I don't want to miss anyone, but I'm pretty sure that's it. It was so crazy. Cause I'd never been obviously in a studio setting where, and I told them like two key phrases of how I wanted it to sound. And it was like, they read my fucking mind and like 
did it within two to three takes. And there would like, maybe the first one was like making sure that the structure was right. And then by the second time it was like, okay, that was the song. And I was like, I, that was, that was better than I am better than I imagined it. Um, because that kind of musicianship is something that like takes time. And I, I'm just really, really happy with how they turned out because I couldn't have dreamed that up. Can you give an example of like, you gave them like a certain phrase and they just like blew it up into something that you were like amazed that this was what they came up with? Yeah. So for example, for she's using Oren played them a work tape that I had played. And so the first time that they played through it, they were like, okay, I got it. And they, you know, had more of like a softer, like Lori McKenna vibe to it, which I love Lori McKenna, but I was like, after that track, I said, Hey, I want this to be big. I want this to be rock and roll almost. And they were like, okay. Second time, uh, Fred starts out with that. Bum, bum, bum. And I was like, ah! like, that's exactly what I asked for. And all I had to say was like, big rock and roll. Just needed a couple of days away, floating in a coding dream. Yeah, she walked through an open door that said, Welcome all our souls. And, Mama said, and then, like, the songwriter aspect, you know, bleeds through it, but just giving those key words to them, and they're like, Okay, got it. She's using a video of it happening too and i i just like had my jaw on the floor it was insane You did most of the the writing on this album uh, in Oklahoma, or was a lot of it in Nashville? Two of the songs I wrote in Nashville, I wrote Blood with Angelina Presley from the Pistol Annies in, here in Nashville, and she's using it with Mondo Signs here in Nashville. And those are my first co-writes of my whole life. I'd always written by myself, 
Um, and so super nervous, like with Mondo, it was like 9am on a Monday where we're both like gripping onto our coffee, like, okay, let's write something good maybe. But like, uh, but once I started talking about what I wanted to write about, he's, he's kind of like a, a darker, not a darker soul. I don't want to say that he's like a, he's dark humor, but like Mm -hmm. super funny, but also like, I think understands what I wanted to articulate. And once I was telling him my story, I think um, his ears perked up and he, he just got really excited and I could see him because I think sometimes whenever I walk into a right or anyone walks into a right with a stranger, you kind of have like preconceived notions about, you know, like a girl songwriter, like, what are we going to write about? You know, probably something girly, you know? And I'm like, ah, so someone in my life's struggling with substance abuse. And I wanted to write about that. And he's like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Uh, and so I start talking about what's going on and he's just like scribbling down like a therapy session and same thing with blood with Angelina you know we started talking about family dynamics and just our family trauma you know and both times I felt like I really bonded with them like right off the bat and my nerves just fully went away we came out with something that I'm really proud of that I knew that I was going to record someday Blood, you're the jury and judge The Taliban And pushes and shoves Forgives and forgets Bonds and cements A counterfeit love Blood, blood Dragging my name Through the mud the other ones I wrote all of those at my mom's farmhouse in Ardmore I love to talk about um your husband right uh Quetto uh Cordero of Flatland uh Cavalry how do you two kind of balance like a musician's lifestyle together so whenever I met him and I recorded a life where we work out with him he lived in Lubbock and I lived with my mom in Ardmore so we lived you know, long distance for the first two and a half years of us dating. In a life where we work out, there's a house up on the hill. A front porch going all of the way round and a flower pot on the windowsill. Long distance has never been a stranger to us because that's just how we've always operated. And so whenever he goes on the road, I also go on the road and whenever I'm home, he's also home. Like we're kind of home Monday through Wednesday, so most weeks. I still call you darling, you still call me babe. I smile in the mirror when I say my new last name. You take me out dancing on the weekend that you don't sing. Is it a life where we work out? You still call me babe. Some people have their nine to five where they they both go their separate ways and they go to work and then they come home and they get to join up. And ours sometimes is like, okay, you're gonna be in Dallas this day and I'm gonna be passing through. So I'm gonna come by at the gas station and say hi and kiss you. And, and then I'm gonna have to go this way. Lord knows I 
My favorite thing about, you know, coming together at, when we're at home is I like to call them normal people days where we go to freaking Lowe's and like build something or go shopping at a little farmer's market, which is something that probably happens maybe once a month or we go to Ikea or something and we go build a dresser. Those are rare, but they always feel really good. And it's, and it's good to have normal people days and just cook and clean and, you know, do stuff that we don't normally get to spend time with each other doing. It's a really good dynamic and I really enjoy um, being married to someone who has the same job as me because, you know, he gets it. Whenever I have to go and be until 2 a.m., he's not like at home, you know, asking what I'm doing because he he's probably doing the exact same thing, um, you know, at the merch table, selling, auto, you know, autographing things or meeting people and we both get it. So it's just really nice to to be with someone who gets it because, I know just for me, and this isn't for everyone, but I know that it, for me, it would be really hard. And I commend anyone who's married to a musician. It would be really hard to be married to someone who wasn't also one because there are certain things where you just don't get it if you're not, if it's not happening for you. And so um, I'm really, really thankful that I get to be with him because we have a lot of fun. Yeah, you wrote a song uh, for him. Uh, How Lucky Am I, right? Yes. Um, this was a response song to one of Flatland Cavalry songs? Uh, somewhat, yes. So um, I was competing in the Larry Joe Taylor songwriter competition in Stephenville, Texas. And afterwards, we got invited to this party that didn't have any liquor or beer. And they really just were inviting the musicians to come play music for them. And, it, and that was fine. Um, but at least have like Keystone Light, you know? <laughs> we have really low expectations, but, you know, at least have something for us to drink. Mm -hmm. um, and then I found slash stole this bottle of honey wine from one of my friends. And uh, he, you know, and this is when we were friends at this point, and he was just coming to support me at this competition. Um, and, you know, the wine starts flowing and I'm starting to like scoot closer and closer to him. And he's like, hey, he's not catching any hints whatsoever. He's like, hey we should have our own songwriter competition with the word honey wine in it. And I was like, I am trying to make out with you, but I guess we could do that too. And so, <laughs> so in a couple of days, he sent me this voice memo with the word honey wine as the title. And so he obviously like executed a, a lot faster than I did. And we were also friends at the time and it was about this redheaded girl, you know, that he ends up proposing to. Um, at the end of the song. Honey, why don't you sad to see? 
and he was like, I don't mean to scare you, I don't want to scare you, but the song is by a redheaded girl who wears a lot of turquoise jewelry, and, but don't get freaked out, I'm not a crazy person. And so, like, maybe a month after that, we started dating because we just really enjoyed each other's company. Honey, wine, we've got big plans Put some shoes on your feet Take the turquoise off your hand Trade it out for a diamond And then about a year later, I wrote the song, How Lucky Am I For Him? And then a few years later, ended up releasing it. So on Valentine's, both things were Valentine's Day presents. One was writing it for him and then um, most recently releasing it on Valentine's Day as a secret. And I made like little conversation hearts with like the lyrics on there and a little like personalized uh, Valentine. And I just like to get creative with it. do get creative for those those valentine's day gifts because i saw like one from i think just this last valentine you put yourself on like a corona ad <laughs> yes uh yes that uh i saw that on a tiktok trend where it's like the beer poster i uh, give your boyfriend a beer poster trend and it's at mile zero fest this year in key west I told my photographer i was like hey i know it's gonna be cold this day but we're gonna go out to the beach and i'm gonna Posing in a swimsuit, which is like also a nightmare for me, but fuck it, let's do it. And she made it look so like bright skied and like exactly like a Corona ad. And Cotto just let out the biggest cackle when he saw it. And that's that's like all I want for Valentine's Day is to make him laugh. So I definitely did it. And I actually have it, got it printed out for him and gave it to him while he was in the studio working on the Panhandlers album. And so him and all of his guy friends are like opening <laughs> this Corona app. Uh, yeah, but he was really happy with it. <laughs> it. It looks like a real advertisement. Like, yeah, I was so I thought it was like publicity merch or something that you yeah. were making. Someone was like, hey, can you sell these? Because I mean, I loved how my photographer, she edited like the water drops onto the picture, like where it looks like condensation all over the poster. I was like, you're brilliant. This looks so real. I want to make some I want to make something that I could sell like that because that would be fun and funny. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about just kind of the the aesthetic for this album. It's like it's like part of this trend I've been noticing of like country and like cosmic space stuff <laughs> yeah um i kind of fell in love with collage art surrealism collage art recently and i feel like i'm not super um like i'm not a cowgirl <laughs> like and but i feel like there's kind of a pressure to out country each other sometimes in country music um which is funny to me, but I, I never really feel like I'm I'm in the middle of that. I feel like I'm kind of all over the place of like pop and country. And, and so I, I kind of wanted my, my designs to kind of reflect that I'm not, you know, in the rodeo <laughs> and, and, and I love to have fun with things. And I feel like the sounds that the guys made in the studio were real spacey for this last album. And so 
um, I sent my uh, graphic designer inspo and it was just like all over the place of like an iPad drawing that I had made. He made it into reality and it just looks so good and I'm really proud of it. And um, I wanted to be really consistent with that and just kind of have that be the brand, you know? Do you believe in, in that kind of stuff? Like aliens exist or yeah. Yes. Yes, I do. I think um, there's so much that we don't know and I don't know if we'll ever know it, but I, I totally, I totally believe in it. I feel like they're among us, uh, especially after seeing the Marfa lights out in Marfa, Texas. Things that you just can't explain. I mean, there's, there's got to be something out there. Take me out west. Take me on a quest. You told me not to change out of my cheap denim dress. Oh. Someone asked me, like, what would you, and I'm going to ask this to you, that if you were to meet an alien, what would you ask them? And I was like, I can't even pick. What would you ask them? Because I couldn't, I could not decide. I really don't know. Like, what do you know? <laughs> like, that's what I was like, how, yeah. where, where is the life out? How much life out there is there? Are we the only ones? I don't know. But yes, I believe in it. I think it's, I think it's cool to believe in stuff like that, you know? Yeah, there, there's just this trend I've noticed. Like, um, Jason Bolin put out like this entire concept album about being abducted by aliens. Yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I saw that, I had just put out the remix to White River where like me and my alien friend have like murdered someone and then did Art Marfa lights. And about that time, he's like promoting this alien of abduction thing. And I called my booking agent and I was like, I need to go on tour with him ASAP. Like that, our marketing is so like intertwined right now. There's no way that I shouldn't right now. And so I went to on a couple of dates in Arizona and California and Texas. And it was just so much fun. Like, I feel like it was more for me than anyone else. Like, <laughs> it was so much fun for me because I love, I love his band and, and Jason a lot. I think they're really badass people. And, but that alien concept, I feel like people are, are kind of showing off their weirdness. And I think that that's something that's really cool in country music to just like, I don't know, venture out of the, of the rodeo stuff. If you're not like super into it, then like go off and branch out that's what you you feel the last set of taillights drove away into the night far away coyote cries 34 revolver reflected the moonlight pointed right between his eyes and in the paper monday morning in red that was a night the wire ever turned red that was a night
there a song on this album that you would like to be like sent out into space and to like reach extraterrestrial ears? <laughs> I feel like one that they would respond to because I feel like it's got some like crazy sounds on it is and like especially at the beginning and end is uh, in the pines. Because I feel like it sounds like a spaceship to begin with. There's like a hit that I really love to hear in there and he's hitting like a like a washboard. And then that song kicks in just like acoustic, kind of like the lead belly version of it. But I was like, I want to start out like where it just feels like chaos the whole time. And then like when the verses come in, kind of pull way out. My man, my man don't lie to me. Tell me where did you sleep last night? In the pines, in the pines where the sun don't ever shine. I'll shiver. you know, in between, like hit it as hard as you can and then suck the energy right back out again and then give it back to him. so much and then like it ends with all these like kind of like when E.T. and his like spaceship comes to get him and like all the I don't know I just feel like that's what it sounds like to me is <laughs> his definitely like aliens like you know building up or like the spaceship is landing you know my man my man told you
and that was the last one that we recorded. And as they were ending it, I was like, ah! in the vocal booth, just screaming because it's it was so cool to hear like as it was happening too. Uh, I really love the song uh, Jackson, and I love that connection with the the Johnny Cash song. What made you want to write that song? Um, so I had a big, tall. 15 passenger um, transit van that was like nine feet tall. That was my only vehicle at the time. And I decided that I wanted to take my whole family on a, on a road trip out to Orange Beach, Alabama. All the cousins, my grandparents, my mom and aunt, and just let's get on the road and go. And my grandma is kind of a big worry wart. And she was looking out for my grandpa and his legs because they get they got sore um, occasionally because he was super tall. He was like a dinosaur. <laughs> and my grandma, always looking out for him, she was, we were going to stop halfway um, in Jackson, Mississippi on our way to Orange Beach. But she kept saying, y'all, I don't think we're going to make it to Jackson. I think Papa's legs, you know, we might need to stop sooner than that. And she she would pop her little head up every like 30 minutes or so. And I'm like white knuckling behind this van, like hoping that I don't kill my whole family. And I was like, grandma, I got it. We're going to make it to Jackson. We got married in a fever. Don't you worry, you know, and I'll and we'll get there quick so that Papa's not miserable. But for some reason at a gas station, I wrote that phrase down because it really like had this tie to Johnny Cash that like, I don't know, I was just like, that's kind of a cool line. Like, you know, if that represents, you know, a couple not making it to what Johnny and June were. Look out Jackson Town. if they fight so much or their relationship's not working, are they going to make it to Jackson? He said, I'm saving up to buy you a diamond. He said, it won't be much, but I'll get you one soon. I wrote that down, and then um, it was Johnny Cash's birthday, and I was thinking about how difficult it must have been to be June Carter Cash and be in love with, I'm sure, a difficult man. But I don't feel like, you know, that's unique. I don't feel like... <laughs> I feel, I feel like all of us women are not strangers to being in love with difficult men. And so I started writing that song. I watched Walk the Line like six times in a week to try and like conjure up some inspiration. started with Grandma Jean, it ended with watching Walk the Line a million times, but um, it's one that I worked on really hard. And my mom actually helped me write the bridge to it because I was like, I, I know it needs something. And she just wrote down, it takes a lot of pain and time to change a woman's mind. Well, it takes a lot of pain and time to change a woman's mind. But I've reached the point of no return and you cross that line. So I don't think I'll make it to Jackson. And I was like, Write it down. <laughs> and so my mom's also just like a really great creative person. She's a teacher. So she helped me finish that one and really proud of it.
Cassie Incognito is gone? Because I don't like this guy Cash. touched on board if i don't yeah you said all these songs are about like different women you um can see yourself in um mm-hmm. so who or what who's this <laughs> who is this board if i don't woman <laughs> who is this cheater um so i so speaking of mike mcclure um he was going to do a soundtrack for a movie or he was asked to and he gave me the screenplay to it um, and said, read this and whatever comes out, send to me and we'll record it and send it over. Well, that, um, and so I read the screenplay and that's kind of what came out of me. Um, and I realized that it was kind of like a sequel to Wild Rose. Because Wild Rose is just about this girl that wants to go chase her dreams, but realizes that she wants to bloom where she's planted and stay with the man that she loves. When she was young, they called her Wild Rose. As I was writing for that screenplay and I started to write Ford If I Don't, I realized that it felt like to me like the same character of a girl who married too young and didn't love this person but wondered if there was more out there. What about us? I feel like everyone has been with someone who they care about and there's nothing wrong with that other person, um, but they're just not for them or they're looking past them to see if there's anything out there. I really relate to it. And so once I had that idea in mind, I was like, okay, this is Wild Rose sequel. This is Wild Rose number two. Or if I don't, and it's definitely a made-up girl, but I feel like you know everyone's been there at some point. Yeah, I remember that day in my white dress, my fate was Yeah, I feel like a wild rose plucked and stuck in someone's window. 
each course, you know, she kind of makes the next decision of like, okay, I'm leaving the house. Okay, I'm leaving the bar. Okay, now I'm leaving with this man. different characters that are I'm either observing in myself or the people around me or just like a feeling that I've had at some point which is maybe to like I don't want to break this person's heart but like because there's nothing wrong with them but I don't want to be with them and I don't really know why. Is this um, kind of typical for the songs that you write? Um, just taking on a life of its own and having like a kind of fictionalized uh, character being the point of view? Yeah, a little bit. Um, some of them are purely like about me. Like it won't always be this way. I feel like it's so much about me and, and blood is so personal too, where I like really wanted to get it right and articulate it exactly how it felt. Um, and leave no stone unturned in the emotions that I was feeling and the anger and resentment. But these other ones are, are things that I observed, but also felt like they were happening to me too. Um, like for instance, she's using, is not about me, but it, it was like the whole situation around me. Everyone was just like in a t- damn tizzy. So I was checking out your, your tour dates and um, you're set to perform at uh, Bob Childers Gypsy Cafe here in like um, two or so weeks on April 27th. Yes. When was the last time you performed there? Uh, it seemed like a really an important show for you in your career. Yes. I I always say like it was the most, um, if that night didn't happen, nothing would have happened for me in my life. 
Okay, so I, I drive up to the Gypsy Cafe. I'm just showing up for this gig that I've been assigned to by Derek Brown at ACM. And I didn't know very much about Red Dirt Music and its history, but my mom was like, hey, you're going to something really important. You need to know these people. I'm giving you the cliff notes. You know, this guy wrote this song that you know, but he's like an older dude, so you probably haven't heard of him. But these guys are really important. They've been around for a long time. Um, and then I also had Rick Riley, who's been a longtime member of um, Gypsy Cafe and just Bob Childers and the originators of um, Red Dirt Music. He reached out and was like, hey, I know you're young. And so I want to I want to tell you about these people, too. And so and he kind of took me under his arm and, you know, made me feel really welcome, even though I was a complete stranger. And I think that's what makes Oklahoma music, you know, so almost unique because there there's no there's no big dick in anyone there's just like no judgment there's <laughs> yeah. it's all embrace <laughs> I know <laughs> so bad it's all embrace everyone just embraced me and um Randy Crouch I, I walk up to this little tiny farmhouse and everyone's in a circle you know they're longtime buds but I'm just like this random girl that's walked up with my guitar and who I'm like hanging out in the background um and Randy Crouch is like hey who are you? And I was like, hi, I'm Caitlin. And he said, you want to play us a song? And I was like, yeah, sure. But totally nervous. But they, they just, after they heard, I think I played them Wild Rose and they were just like, do you want to play us another one? And I was like, sure. Um, but that whole night was just so, so incredible. And then that night after, after the whole festival was over, um, I went back to the hotel and a bunch of the musicians were hanging out in the lobby playing, playing songs again. And Mike McClure happened to be in that circle. And I met him and, you know, played a couple of Merle, Merle Haggard songs for him. And, and then um, the next couple days, he had posted this Facebook thing because I added him as a little stalker. And he said, I have some studio time opened up if anyone wants to be to come in the studio and record some songs. And at the time, I just needed something that I could at gigs hand to people. And so we made Same Hell, Different Devil. It took like about a year or so to make and put out. And so from there, you know, I sent out all these CDs to random radio stations. I didn't know what what I was doing, but I just spread them out. I didn't know. I didn't know about Texas music. I didn't know. I didn't know shit. <laughs> and from there, um, my husband now. Um, so Cleto was driving down the highway and heard my song in Fort Worth on the radio. He heard my song Gal Like Me as he was driving home from a gig. What would you like a gal like me? My hair is never right, it's curly and free. And he woke up his bass player and asked him to shazam the song and said, who is this? We need to find out who she is because I have a, a duet that I need a girl for and I've never heard this person before. What would you like a gal like me? you know, fast forward two months and I go and record that song with Cleto and then we're dating and we have this like big explosion of a song that um, definitely boosted my um, audience. And so, I mean, if that night at Bob Childers Gypsy Cafe didn't happen, I probably wouldn't have met Mike. My music might not have been on the radio and I might not have met my husband or had the, any kind of successes that I've had today. So. Gypsy Cafe is where I always kind of trace it back to because it really, it really was the first place that really embraced me as a songwriter and just really like loved on me. So 
I love the Gypsy Cafe. <laughs> Find me on iTunes, Apple Music, um, Spotify, anywhere that you can stream music. And I have vinyl for pre-order right now. That is everything that you order on my website is signed. Um, so go to my website, CaitlinButts.com, and you'll find all that. Um, follow me on Instagram, Twitter. Twitter, I've got my Twitter back now. Um, and Facebook. Um, and TikTok, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, you have a TikTok? <laughs> yes, I do. I have a lot of fun with it, too. I, I spend a lot of time on TikTok. It's, it's kind of my favorite thing, but <laughs> follow me on all the things. You'll find those links for Caitlin Butts at KOSU.org. There you can also find a list of the songs that were played in this episode. Songwriters and Tour Writers is a production of KOSU and the service of Oklahoma State University. Our editor is Ryan McCroy, and our cover art was created by Terry Ferris. You can find Songwriters and Tour Writers wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Matthew Viriapa.